From Warren and NYC, it's Effort, a show based on our live storytelling series where female leaders and entrepreneurs share raw and personal stories of challenges they've overcome in their careers and what they learned in the hustle to achieve success. Effort is brought to you by Warren. We're a mission-based creative agency that empowers women to lead. We produce creative work like marketing campaigns, product branding and packaging, and build online experiences for companies like Marriott, campaigns like Let's Move, led by Michelle Obama, and Shark Tank alumni companies like Piper Y and Surprise Ride. Our work is powered by women, and we believe that more women leading companies creates a stronger economy and a more equal world for everyone. It was me sitting in a room with a bunch of rappers and their crew, and the manager in the back going, did you hear what she said? You gotta listen or you'll die. Hi everyone, welcome back. I'm Nicole Corbett, CEO of Warren. Carolyn Rush here, Director of Strategy. And I'm Leela Feldmeyer, Creative Strategist here at Warren. And we're bringing you another inspiring story from Effit. If this is your first time with us, welcome. What's up? We're happy you're here. Effit is a live storytelling event that we host in New York and DC, where women share stories of success and hustle on the way to the top. Just by being here today, listening, you're already on your way to taking the next step to empowering yourself and the other women around you to move up. With all the efforts, there are so many stories, but this one really brought down the house. We held this effort at Tory Sport here in New York City, and not only did we get to wear Tory Sport head to toe, but we worked with the Tory Burch Foundation, and we've had some of the most personal and raw stories we've ever had from women who've had to grow some thick skin to get to where they are today. You're about to hear from Lori Fabiano, president of the Tory Burch Foundation, talk about how losing her sister-in-law to AIDS inspired her to become an AIDS activist in the 1980s and the struggles that went along with it. She's the president of the Tory Burch Foundation, which exists to empower women entrepreneurs. She's had a long career in the nonprofit world. She was the senior vice president of the Robin Hood Foundation for 10 years. She was also the deputy mayor of Hoboken and an AIDS activist. For seven years, she produced the AIDS walks and AIDS dance-a-thons around the country, raising money for the treatment and care. Lori spoke to our live audience at EFIT at Tory Sport on Fifth Avenue about what it's like to be the only woman in the room and convincing rappers to wear condoms. So, my, my story. It doesn't have to do with this latest chapter in my life. So back in the mid-1980s, I was in city government. I was the deputy mayor of Hoboken. And I was the only woman in the administration, and I was probably the only woman ever who had any power in City Hall in, in Hoboken's history at that time. And to say that people hated me would be an understatement. <laughs> they wanted me dead, quite literally. I mean, the cops would go into the bathrooms at night and write graffiti about me. Um, the anti-administration people hired these two bums so that when I came into work every day, up the steps of City Hall and through the doors, they would go, death to Lori Fabiano. Um, so, not a great situation, obviously. Um, and, but around, that's actually not the story I'm gonna tell because it's too long and it might be a book someday. Um, but around the same time, my husband's cousin, who was raised as his sister, died of AIDS. She was one of the first women to die of AIDS, and it was horrible. Um, also around this time, I was contacted by the organization that produced the AIDS walks and the AIDS walks around 
excuse me, around the country, and they asked me to come work for them. And I jumped on it. It was not anything that I expected to do. It was not a direction I was expecting to go in. But I now knew I was passionate about doing something about this disease. So this is 1989. It's the height of the AIDS epidemic. Uh, in fact, in 1989, the statistics had quadrupled in terms of the rate of infections. We desperately needed money. Um, People were raising money for research, but the AIDS walks funded money to care for people with AIDS and for education. And by now, you're all familiar with the AIDS walk model. You get your family and friends and colleagues to sponsor you for each kilometer that you walk. But back then, this was a very new viral form of fundraising and marketing. Also, it's before we were all in front of computers. So we relied on enormous community organizing, and we had hundreds, literally hundreds and hundreds of volunteers that sent out registration kits, that did phone banking, that made signs. And it was the height of the epidemic, so every time you got to know a volunteer, there was a very good chance in a couple months they wouldn't be around anymore. I, People say this lots of times, but I truly went to more memorials than I could ever count. But it was also strangely a really joyous time because we were fighting the good fight and we were all in this together. Um, it, and the other part, it was fun. Uh, I will never forget my first day and I was still understandably, a little bruised and battered from the City Hall experience, and sat down at my desk, and the cleaning crew came in. And in walks these four incredibly buff guys in really short shorts and muscle shirts. They stick a boombox in the middle of the table, press play, and like disco divas come on, and they're washing the windows, and I'm like, I am not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> it is a very different situation. But one thing was the same, and that was I was once again the only woman. But this time, instead of being hated, I was an object of curiosity. Um, suffice to say, what I wore to work was a far more interest to them than to me. So I would come in in the mornings and get a full critique on whatever I was wearing, and if they really liked it, I had to share. So. One time, the office manager, I was really excited. I had a bunch of important meetings that day, and I wore my new blue brocade suit. I thought it was so cool, and had this little skirt, mini skirt, and jacket. And the office manager comes around, and he's like, I got to try on the skirt. I'm like, no, not now, please. No, no. Please, you got to let me. And this just went on, and finally, I'm like, okay, take the skirt. So I'm now sitting at my desk working in my jacket, completely forgetting that I had an interview. And they brought the person into the room. So I obviously can't get up to shake his hand. Really awkward, but you know, half hour later, I make it through this interview and I'm thinking, oh, thank God. It's gonna be weird when I don't get up to say goodbye, but you know, I got through it. And in sails the office manager in my skirt. 
And I see the guy looking at the skirt, looking at my jacket, back and forth, and realizing that I'm sitting at the desk without my pants on. But that was a little bit of what it was like in the office and what it was like to be the only woman. But a few years later, something happened, and that was the epidemic started changing. Um, men, gay men were taking better precautions. The epidemic was slowing a little bit in that community. But what was happening was the epidemic was spreading rampantly in communities of color and especially in young communities of color. So we knew we had to do something, but there were a few problems. The first was there was a lot of stigma in communities of color at that time about the use of condoms. And the second was our name was Gay Men's Health Crisis. The two communities didn't exactly mesh at that point. There was fear, a lot of fear on both sides. Also around this time, we had started a new event, the AIDS Dance-a-thon. And we piloted it in Los Angeles, and we got Madonna to endorse it, and she attended the event, and it was a huge success. So as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, if we have any hope of reaching this community of people, it's through this event, because music has the power to be the great equalizer. So just like having Madonna and the village people made sure that it was a success in the gay community, I felt if I could just get some rap and hip hop artists to participate, we could really maybe get, attract people to the event. So I made a list, hundreds of people, A, B, C list, I tried everything. Sent out hundreds of invitations, followed it up with thousands of phone calls, and crickets. I was hung up on so many times, it just became like, of course they're gonna hang up on me. And then one day when we were kind of, everybody was saying, Lori, you, you gotta give up on this, this is, this is not happening. Um, the phone rang, and it was Vicki Wickham, who was and is the manager of Nona Hendricks. And Nona, for those of you who don't know her, was a member of the original group LaBelle, and she's the woman who wrote and performed Lady Marmalade, along with Patti LaBelle, and became a real figure in the Black Rock Coalition. So Vicki said, we'll do it. So armed with Nona's name, I went back out because she was very respected in the music community and said, will you join Nona Hendricks and do this? So three other artists came on board, Queen Latifah, Salt and Peppa, and Rosie Perez as a host. Notice anything? Only women had the guts to risk their reputation and, and take that first step. But with those artists on board, we were able to not only attract participants, but we were able to go further into the music community. And we even got some men. Um, some of the repeat acts at the Dance-a-thon were Naughty by Nature, uh, PM Dawn, and members of the Wu-Tang Clan. But some of the acts were still deathly afraid. I mean, they really felt like they could just get AIDS just by coming to the event. So 
some really smart person decided the solution to this was to have me tell them how not to contract AIDS and what safe sex is. So granted, I was a lot younger then, but it was still one of the more awkward situations in the whole universe. It was me sitting in a room with a bunch of rappers and their crew and the manager in the back going, did you hear what she said? You gotta listen or you'll die. And, and then sometimes, you know, the rappers would be like totally like enthralled and then they'd start oversharing. And I'm like, I don't need to know this. This is too much, too much information. But as uncomfortable as it was, you know, the bottom line is I think we saved a bunch of lives. So what's the point of all this and this storytelling? The, the point is passion. Um, I have been in some incredibly tough situations in my life, uh, incredibly tough career situations, some that are downright impossible. And it's only by being so passionate about what you're doing that it works. Because when your passion carries you through and fear and self-doubt end up taking a back seat. You want to accomplish what you want so badly that you, know, you, you will make it work no matter what the odds are. So um, to the point where I, I really hate that phrase, finding your passion, because I feel like your passion finds you. If, if you live your life in an open manner, if you are tied into the world, if you ask questions, if you, you react honestly to what life dishes out to you, Nicole even talked about it. She saw an opportunity, she read a book, but she had to have the guts to seize that opportunity. And so you have to be ready when somebody says a call and says, will you come work on these AIDS walks, even though it wasn't in my plan, even though it wasn't linear. Um, when you read a book and it moves something in you and you're disgusted that there aren't more women CEOs, you gotta be willing to, to take that step. I have had plenty of jobs in my life and all of them. I've taken because I've been passionate about them. It's not because it was a way to ascend the ladder or to, to make more money. But that being said, I will say, being passionate about what you do doesn't mean you should be a martyr. You need to ask and get what you deserve and what you're worth. Just like Alana said, you can do good and do well. Um, so I encourage you to, to keep that in mind. So in closing, my dad, who was my hero, had a big sign in his office when I was growing up and it said, work is a blessing. My dad was a first generation immigrant and he, he really believed, as do I still, that the ability to work and, and provide for your family is a blessing. The only thing is, I think a generation later, I might tweak that a little and say being passionate about your work is a blessing. Thank you. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening to Effort Radio. If you'd like to work with Warren on a creative project, from branding and packaging to strategy and video production, Effort, drop us a line at 
effortatwarren.nyc. If you live in DC or New York City, or have a friend that you'd think would benefit from attending Effort, you can come see these stories in person, meet the storytellers, and meet incredible women just like you to support you and your hustle. Effort is completely free, and you can sign up on our website at worn.nyc forward slash Effort Radio. That's worn.nyc forward slash F-I-T Radio. Our show is produced by Carolyn Rush, Nicole Corbett, and Leela Feldmeyer with sound recording and mixing by Nicholas Quasi-Herd. Effort may cause side effects such as quitting your job, asking for a raise, following your dreams, supporting other women, raising money, uncontrollable honesty, and extreme confidence.